Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and joining me today is my lovely co-host, the founder of Queer Media Matters, Fairy Gay Mother. Dana Pickley. Hi, Dana. Hey. Well, and we have two incredible guests, so let's get started on introducing them. He is an illustrator working in the entertainment industry focused on the horror genre. He is... Hi, I'm Laz Marquez. Thanks for having me. Hi. And she's an award-winning YouTuber and pop culture writer. Princess Weeks. Hello, hello. I'm so excited to be here. Hi. Hi. Uh, Princess, I'm I'm happy we have you on. I feel like you and I have been like emailing back and forth for like a year. I almost. know. It's a star-crossed, <laughs> you know, podcast romance. Uh, I'm excited <laughs> that we finally made it together. <laughs> here we are. Uh, and we're here to talk about Bring On the Night, which I think is a important season seven episode. But before we get into it, uh, Princess, do you want to start us off with giving us your Buffy origin story? Sure. So actually, the first episode of Buffy that I ever saw was Hush when I was still in high school. And it terrified the crap out of me. I remember like, I was so scared of it. Maybe it was even before high school, I was fairly young. And I had to finish watching it because the idea of it just traumatized me. Like, I just need to see her beat them. And (laughs) And then I was like, Buffy's too scary for me. I can't do it. And then between my sophomore and junior year of college i was on amazon the dark site and a buffy the vampire slayer box set was on sale for like 40 bucks and i was like you know what let me just get it (laughs) and you know see what happens and so i just binged dvd watched it on my computer and i just watched all of buffy during that summer and i fell in love with it i like went on the buffy sites and Buffy Tumblr every single day. And it was one of the best investments I ever made. I, I, I'm a buffinado or whatever we call <laughs> I'm a slayerette. Whatever we call ourselves, that's what I am. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Laz, what's your, I don't know that I know yours, even though I feel like I should. What's your Buffy origin? It's, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, I saw it when it first aired on the WB uh, back in the day. Uh, so I saw Welcome to the Hel- Hellmouth. And fell in love with it immediately uh, and became like obsessed with Sarah Michelle Gellar because I was a little gay boy who didn't realize it. Uh, (laughs) And I wanted to be her. And uh, yeah, I I fell in love with the the show. I was constantly drawing the characters. I had fan sites, the whole shebang. (laughs) I can't believe you started from the beginning. That's impressive. We don't hear that often on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So we're here to talk about Bring On The Night. Um... I do, I, I kind of talked to you guys about it earlier. Princess and Lads, you both kind of kind of feel the same thing about season seven, right? Like, it felt like you both, not the biggest fans, but we, at the end of the day, I feel like we can all agree, it's still, Buffy's still, like, even the stuff that's not that great is better than a lot of other TV, right? Absolutely. I mean, Buffy has such a brilliant sense of continuity that there is a lot of good stuff in season seven. It just is between a lot of things that I personally (laughs) do not care for in terms of just character decisions and stuff like that but I would be remiss if I said that it was like not still great supernatural television yeah yeah um and Laz you kind of feel that right yeah I I think my my point of view on season seven is just that I like it because we've followed these characters for so long and fallen in love with them. Uh, but I do feel like a lot of the main character, uh, like the main Scooby gang's narratives are a little bit redundant. They keep hitting the same kind of beats 
and the same uh, you know, issues that they're having over and over without much resolve. So it becomes a little tedious for me uh, to watch this particular season again. But there are some pretty incredible episodes and uh, themes within this. Yeah. And something and something that I said uh, to Laz and I mentioned earlier is that like the big contradict not contradiction but the big issue I have with this season is that it is the most diverse season of Buffy. It's probably the most we ever see a bunch of different people of color on screen at the same time, yeah. and I feel they're all kind of treated like trash. And it's either they're treated like trash by the main characters or by the narrative. And just as someone who was watching it and like was like, all right, we're only gonna have like two and a half black characters this entire show we get this diverse cast of women majority and it's like they're all kind of not great and it just makes it kind of hard to like you know enjoy it when Buffy is being mean to someone who's like oh yeah Spike killed my mother and I want revenge and he's and she's just like that's that's really sucks for you but this is my man though (laughs) season seven really needed another half of the season to flesh out yeah, a lot of these storylines, I think, especially a lot of these, um, the potential storylines, because we really don't get to know them. Like, our, I know we're supposed to care that they get killed, but I'm like, oh, they, I don't know them. Um, so it felt <laughs> like you know, maybe another four or five episodes could have maybe brought more continuity to the story. But what I will say about what I enjoy about this episode is, is it's very full circle-y. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got Drew. We have Drusilla coming back. We have Joyce in yeah. two mm. different forms, dream form and first form. There's there's all these like moments that bring other pieces of the Buffy universe together. And I, I think that that's one of the reasons I, I dig this episode. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Dana. I Because this episode and the following episode, Showtime, do stick out to me when I think of season seven. I mean, Conversations with Dead People for me is that and Selfless are like the season seven episodes. But this plot wise are like two that I think of when I think of like, I forget the like, then after we get the Dawn episode, then after we get the like Willow turns into Warren up and we get a little bit of a slump. Um, but these are like very actiony, very like plot heavy, but in like an exciting way. And I don't know if you all remember watching this, but I can remember season seven and six are the, and five are the ones that I remember watching live like the most. Um, and I can remember being like, excited that the previous episode ended with, you know, meeting the monster. We didn't know, you know, what the Turrican was. And it just felt very, it did feel final in a way. Um, It felt like, oh yeah, this is definitely the final season, which I don't think, I don't know if any of you remember, I don't think they actually announced it was the final season till around this time. Like there was that Entertainment Weekly cover with like Sam Michelle Gallery and said like Buffy quits. Um, I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, Ian. Like, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Also fair. <laughs> Although I did remember every Alanis Morissette lyric at the concert last night. So you're welcome. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, um, I do think you're right. I think it was around this time. Uh, yeah. I don't remember exactly which episode, but I know that we didn't go into this season expecting it to be the final one. And it was right. around the middle where things, uh, you know, were kind of revealed, which kind of makes sense because it does start to get very rushed at this point does um but okay so this episode opens with them once again cleaning up the living room and i appreciate that we at least draw attention to it like xander jokes he's like it's a loop like the mummy hand um because literally the previous episode opened with them cleaning up the house 
uh, from conversations with dead people. It was like they were still working on getting everything back together. I think Xander had just redone the window. And then at the end of the episode, the bringers, you know, come through, smash everything. And these are the moments from season seven that I do enjoy because I do think these characters, these actors were like embodying these characters by this point. So like the scenes of them like sitting around doing shit are fun because that's kind of the only moments we get of the characters getting able to like, they're not like having to worry about a fight or dying. It's like they're sitting around just like delivering lines of dialogue in a very them way. You know, we get Anya, she's like, her and Dawn are doing research, and she's like, nothing, cliff notes to nothing, nothing abridged. Um, and we get really good, like, moments like that when they're all kind of, like, cleaning up from the fight or, like, doing a research. Um, and also, I do think, uh, Dana, I don't know if you'll agree with me, they're doing this very much to be like, look how bad they need Giles. They're kind of, like, reminding us, <laughs> Giles isn't here and he needs to be, Right. Oh, Giles, always <laughs> running off to do something. This very much feels like they're trying to make this episode very much about Andrew and Andrew's change of heart and his his journey. And I'm and, and like that. We set that up really from the beginning. And I, you know what? care <laughs> Ditto. That's, that's fair that's totally fair <laughs> like i'm like i care more about these new the the, the potentials like i i just this this uh laz we're talking about redundancy this is where it feels redundant to me yeah i, th- I well i i have a, a lot of thoughts on you know andrew in general but i did want to uh touch upon uh just the scene as a whole some things that I noticed that I don't remember noticing when I was watching this live back when it aired. I kind of feel like season seven's a weird Apple ad. Have you, have you guys noticed that? <laughs> on that laptop. And Willow's always misreading articles in the same way. Again, that weird, like, redundancy. <laughs> I will say, when I saw Buffy at school with that big MacBook, I'm like, oh, that looks really sleek. They should bring that back. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they use Apple a lot, especially in this season. Um, yeah, there. I feel like, because season six, it was like Willow was sometimes doing research, but also sometimes, like, quote unquote doing her magics um so we didn't get a lot of research but this is like there's a lot of scenes of her like sitting on that laptop but i will go back to andrew i do enjoy andrew though i understand the like i know a lot of people don't enjoy his story here in season seven i just think he's a nice breath of fresh air into the like scooby gang um and i I enjoy Tom Link. I don't know. I, I... Everyone enjoys Tom Link. <laughs> yeah. This isn't about Tom Link. I think, and I do enjoy Andrew in, in certain areas. It just, I feel a little bit maybe too much of the season seven was focused on that character's redemption arc. That's fair. And I would have liked to have seen, you know, more development between like other characters. That's all. I also kind of, I, I question narratively, like why he's there. You know, I understand that they keep trying to tell us like he's on a redemption arc, but his character is treated so uh, with such a lack of seriousness that like nothing pays off with his redemption. And I also think because like so much of him and I know that like his sexuality is one of those things that's like hinted at, but not really explored in the series because he just is written in such a campy way. It feels like they're just kind of making a joke out of him. The entire time, like, there's so many things about him, like, even when he, he and Xander are bar- bonding over Wonder Woman, it's like, okay, we get it. He's like the, the comic book <laughs> nerdy gay kid. We get it. But, like, 
he still was part of like an incel group like yesterday <laughs> that that tried to kill <laughs> multiple women. Like I don't care <laughs> that like he feels sad. And I think just now, especially the trio are just so are like even grosser now in yeah. a 2021 context that it's like I'm not interested that like he accidentally killed his best friend because a demon told him to. I'm like, sure, yeah, whatever. Like your QAnon demon tells you to kill your friend <laughs> and, now, and now you feel bad about it. I'm like, I don't care, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some, the, the, I think what really zings this season for me too is the mental like terror and manipulation that happens to the characters because mm-hmm. bringing Joyce back just to speak, you know, just to have the first speaking through her to manipulate Buffy, having Drusilla come back to manipulate Spike. These are things that are, are they're they're not tangible. It's you, you how do you fight it? They they right. don't they're not real. You know, and I think we talked about this in the previous episode. It is weird because in season three, when we meet the first, and it's Jenny Callender trying to get Angel to kill himself. Like, Jenny touches him, she, like, puts her hands through his hair, and I don't know why they, like, redacted that, and we're like, wait, it can't touch, because that makes it less, like you said, Dana, it's like, okay, now what, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I just, they should have kept it that, like, all right, yeah, it can touch you sometimes, or, like, maybe sometimes it's incorporeal, a word I learned from Buffy, but, like, I don't know, it's like, yeah, kind of, we, I mean, we add these monsters, right? We get the Tarakan and this episode and the next episode, and then we get Caleb, and it's like, then we get an army of the Turakans, and I don't know, it felt like, meh. The first is kind of like, when you get down to it, a kind of meh villain. For all the other villains, we, I mean, he, Buffy fought a hell god, like, Glory was the villain to be, and it was hard to, I think it was very hard to top Glory as a villain. Agreed. Yeah. Once we got but this her. is but this is about things that that they're not used to having to fight, and these are things that are insidious, and that we all as humans deal with, like these these voices, these these doubts, these frustrations, these you know anger. You know, it's 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 like almost in a way the most human of enemies that they are fighting because it's like this thing that she can't just punch out its lights, you know. That's, you know what? I took what you were saying the wrong way. Yes, I do understand what you're saying, that it actually is like more insidious because she can't fight it. Um, I do wish they had leaned. I mean, I know budget was probably an issue. I wish they had leaned into the cameo thing. Like, I wish we had gotten a zillion more people who had died in this mm-hmm. season as the first. Um, you know, it's weird that Juliet Landau is kind of the only one that gets like to come back. Um but I will say, Ryan Houlihan said on an earlier episode, if you got Juliet Lando on set, you're going to use her a lot because she's very good. And like, that does make sense. I just wish we could have gotten, you know, I go back to Lessons, the season premiere, which I think has one of the coolest scenes where all the big bads are talking to Spike. And it's cool for the audience, but like Spike doesn't know all those people. And it would have been cooler if something like that could happen to Buffy during the season, because that would be like bringing, literally bringing back all her monsters from her past and be more scary for her. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. 
or the person who I was waiting for, like if they had gotten Kendra back, yes. you know, they had gotten Bianca oh, Austin, shit. like that would have been a character to torment Buffy with because yeah. like that's one of her big failures is letting right. another slayer die. And like in a potential season where like the main anxiety is all of these potential slayers that are going to die, why not bring back, you know, the the slayer friend that she had that she that was killed by Drusilla. Like right. that and we all been- know she looks exactly the same as she did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The 10 years previous, <laughs> it, nothing would have changed it would have been perfect (laughs) it's kind of interesting what you guys are saying as well uh kind of jumping off of what everyone is saying for me for me the the first was actually super effective as like an overarching villain but ian to your point like the non-corporeal aspect i think hurts that villainry uh quite a lot because obviously they have to rely on secondary characters to do the dirty work but I do love the themes of like having to effectively fight the past to get to like a future, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because all of them are are effectively like dealing with like the past demons. Um, And I was also kind of curious to that because I know at at this point, I, I don't know that the writers have fully figured out what the first can or can't do. But I thought the way that they utilized Joyce in here, and I'm not sure if uh, we're talking about that, this quite yet, so feel free to uh, tell me to wait. Uh, no, yes, let's let's dig it because we get Joyce. It's right in the beginning, too, that Buffy asks, he's like, oh, hand me the Watcher's Codex, and it's Joyce. Uh, so mm. go ahead, yeah. Yeah, like, so So to begin with, th- this hit home, you know, insanely for me, uh, even on this rewatch. Uh because I love season six and I can be a bit of a Debbie Downer sometimes. Uh, I will say, you know, a few years ago, I lost my mom to breast cancer. So season five is a really difficult season for me to watch in general. So seeing Joyce come back, you know, here in, in uh, com- conversations with dead people, it hits home on a very different level for me personally. But um, wh- what I thought was so interesting about how Joyce is utilized in conjunction with the first is, I don't know that we ever get full confirmation that it's the first because I feel like the first in every other instance uh, reveals itself. You know, it uh, it kind of like removes the mask when it's utilizing, you know, some someone else's face. But with Joyce, it's very nebulous. Like she kind of appears in dreams, which I'm not sure we see the first utilize outside of Joyce. Uh, But I was curious what you guys think. That's a really good that's a really good question because right is this just in Buffy's head or you know is 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 this is this the same Joyce that appears later in this dream that that Buffy's having or is this the first that's a really that's that is something good to chew on right there I I was thinking about that too uh while I was watching it because it just like the, there's a more tenderness mm. to the, some of those earlier scenes and when when she's like you just evil is everywhere, dude. Like, stop worrying about it. Just chill. Like, there's a definitely more of an affection. Yeah. And I just wasn't sure if, like, because I for- actually forgot if the first is able to just, like, do two things. At once. I'm like, but it's being Drusilla. So can it be Drusilla androids? Does it have, like, you know? So I, I, I definitely wasn't sure. But I think that that's a good question that the narrative gives you because... Buffy has never really worked through, doesn't really work through trauma efficiently as a character. She just kind of keeps going through. So I wonder if like, she doesn't have anyone to take care of her in that moment. So even in her mind manifesting her mommy, like I really, I can relate to that. Like in that you want your mom. So I could see it being both like 
the first playing with her, but also just her own desires to be like held and taken care of in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually do always read this episode as like, because, because of that end we get, which we'll get to, which is like her being like, yeah, I'm going to do the fucking thing. Um, and her kind of, she's not there yet at the beginning of this episode, at the middle of this episode, I do think of the way you said princess. It's like, it's almost like her mind comforting her because her mom isn't every other time. It's like, she's planting seeds. She's like telling them like, Oh, it's going to be against you or whatever. And here she is kind of just being like, Buffy, you need to like, relax. You need to calm down. Your evil's always been here. It's always going to be here. You fight all the evil. Um, you need to take a nap, right? Like, I view it as that is her mind trying to comfort her in this like very extreme time of stress. Um, and I don't know if anyone noticed, but also cause I'm a huge fucking Buffy nerd. Joyce is wearing the same sweater she wore in the faith two parter in season four, which mm. she did Dear wear. God, in- <laughs> Ian. Mm. <laughs> which she did wear in season, I think five as well. So I was wondering if that was almost like, making it it's like oh look and she's wearing a like sweater buffy's seen her in before or if that's just like the department was like well we got this joy sweater sitting in the closet why don't we put oh. her in that one <laughs> they but, ran out of budget for new yeah for joyce. <laughs> <laughs> but dana also another reason i know that is because they put out one joyce figure and it's in that sweater <laughs> i know exactly the sweater you're talking about like, i do, I do. <laughs> uh, so while while this is happening with buffy then we we go to once again the cave where poor uh spike is being tortured by drusilla who is always a joy to say always mm-hmm. a joy. Uh, <laughs> my fa- my favorite one of my absolute favorite characters like i love drusilla like she is one of like my big three of like evil vampire ladies who i would do anything for like her <laughs> lorena and Catherine pierce i'm like i would do anything for you guys <laughs> i love that you love her so much <laughs> i do her, i love that i love that i love that the thing i love about the buffy vampires especially besides you know our our love interest is that they're just like bad yeah. like i love that like just has such a tragic backstory and like in any other franchise she'd be like the forlorn like i'm so sad about my life but because of the vampire rules she's kind of like i'm just a bad bitch now like i'm just <laughs> i'm just you know the best I'm just evil now. And I'm like, I respect that about you, girl. No spooky wonky. <laughs> yeah. Just doing that. Kate. And I'm just like, I'm just like in her accent, like it's so bad, but so amazing. I'm like, I, I no notes. I just I love everything about it. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> I mean recreate that clucking noise that she does. Because she's like a million times in this episode. She she does do that weird noise. I I I, I can't do it. <laughs> but I do think Juliet Landau, like, I, she, I mean, we talk about understanding the assignment a lot. I feel like she understood the assignment from, like, day one. Oh, with absolutely. Yes. Chewing <laughs> the scenery, devouring it, love it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and she stays. Like, I wish, I do wish her final appearance on Buffy hadn't been as, like, I wish we could have gotten Drusilla, I don't know, comes back, like, in a, before we get into this, like, I hate first... to break something to you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> she is not dead <laughs> what is death to a vampire you know they're all dead really <laughs> but like yeah exactly they're all they're all dead dana um but yeah no i wish we could have gotten like a she comes back to town for an episode sees it spikes you know got his soul and hates it uh but yeah no i 
I enjoy this. I wish she had more to do, but I enjoy that we, if we're going to watch, because these scenes would have been boring if it was just the first turning into Spike and Buffy again. Um, so I'm glad that we at least got a little bit of Drusilla and Spike, even like, he's like, you're not Drusilla. She was crazier. And she's like, <laughs> Oh, you're being naughty, daddy. Like I, I love all that weird <laughs> shit. Um, well, there's the only two people in this world, really, besides William the Bloody's mother that, that Spike has ever cared about, and that's Drusilla and Buffy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, even though they were evil vampires, yeah, Dana, you're right. He still did love her. Like, we can we can say mm-hmm. that they were soulless, whatever, but, like, he definitely cared about her. Absolutely. I mean, I, I will say, like, not to get into shipping too early, but I, Spike <laughs> and Drusilla is, like, OTP. Like, I was like, it was like, they're like, but they're bad for each other. And I'm like, I'm not here for morality. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> who cares? cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> did, I, did I say that they were healthy? No, I said that they are good. Like, <laughs> I'm not looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't put your heteronormative goodness onto me and what I enjoy. Okay, I want to be bad. Make bad feel so good. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of bad feeling so good, um, how about when Dawn gets to punch? <laughs> I love Dawn. Okay, so my my Buffy hot take is I think Dawn is definitely ragged on too much. Sweet baby angel, I like, and I think it's because for me when I started watching Buffy. I knew that, like, I, the two things I knew about Buffy, three things, that she dates vampires, she has an annoying younger sister, and that Willow is a lesbian. So when you start, when you know all that, and you start season one, it's like, what, Willow wants to date a man? What's going on? Like, it's, <laughs> where is Dawn? So, like, for the entire time, I was just like, where is Dawn? Why isn't she here yet? Like, I was waiting for Michelle Trashenberg. Well, this so is music completely- to Ian in my ears because it we is. are we are Dawn fans. I don't, Laz, what about you? How do you feel yeah. about Dawn? I did not like Dawn uh, in seasons five and six, but I will. <clears throat> but I will say she's one of my favorite characters in season seven. I think that they did such a good job at like elevating her character, mm-hmm. maturing her a little bit. I love like her interactions with uh, some of the other characters. Like I kind of want to spin off of her and Anya together because <laughs> I love their moments in this episode where they're just kind of like in sync with each other and kind of like teaming up a little bit. Uh, Oz, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no. Have you not seen past this episode? Oh yeah, I have. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, like, I don't think that spinoff's going to be possible. Ideally, Laz is saying they could have gotten a spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> in a world yes. where Anya didn't die in the finale. In a what-if scenario. Yeah. Okay, got it, got yeah. it. Yeah. Definitely better than her macking out with friggin' Xander in that <laughs> We're not even, I- we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. But yeah, I love Dawn. But yeah, Dana and I are, I, we're like the Dawn defenders of Slayerfest 98. I don't think anyone else feels the same way we do, Dawn, uh, Dana, of the Dawn and the, of anyone else who co-hosts the podcast. Well, bring me into the Trinity because I <laughs> love Dawn. Like I, my favorite, uh, this is my last Dawn thought, but my favorite Dawn scene is after she finds out what Spike did to Buffy. Oh, and yeah. she's like, if you ever touch my sister again, I'm going to light you on fire. And I'm just yeah. like... She is my queen to be. I was like, I was like, I love you. I love you. Everyone is wrong. Well, like, I am just a ball of light, a sentient ball of light, but I will kick your ass. <laughs> well, and Laz makes a really good point because they really do 
I think this season is when they finally like. I do think she was not written. They, I think they had trouble writing Dawn, right? Yeah. I think. I mean, Michelle Trachenberg was like a younger teen who looked older, so it was like weird when they would like dress her in season five as if she was like eleven and she yeah. looked older. Um, and like you know, give her like these like little kid things to do, and it's like she looks like she's older than that. Um, even though like I don't think Michelle Trachenberg was, it's just she was taller and looked more mature than she was playing. And then I think like season six, they had her crying a little too much, but I think season seven, they really got a handle on Michelle Trachenberg's acting ability and like, Oh, we, we need to like write Dawn as a little bit more likable and confident. She is the Slayer's sister. It would make like, it never leave me the previous episode. I like that. She's one of the few that does fight the bringers and doesn't get knocked out. Um, Mm -hmm. And that would make sense that like, you know, season six, Buffy's like, I, I did fuck up. I should have been training you. And she's right. She should have been because it's your sister. She's going to always be encountering monsters all the time. You live on the Hellmouth. You are the Slayer. You should train her rather than just like sending her to her room. I like that version of Dawn. I, I also think it was really beneficial that in the beginning of season seven, they really uh, like focused on her in high school. I felt like the show was going somewhere really interesting with that. You know, like yeah. a, almost like a mirror to season one. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, with her making some friends and, you know, kind of seeing that balance out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of wish season seven would have gone down that route a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Because I really did like almost like the the agency that they gave Dawn that she didn't previously have because she was kind of like a like a, a nuisance, you know, yes. for, for everybody. Yeah. It's like the, the watchers that like she gets to do research. She gets to you know, fight. And it's not like ridiculous. It's not like she's doing slayer moves. It's just, she can do a little bit of fighting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that helps bring her into the fold more so than like Buffy being like, Dawn, go to your room. You know, like it was her watcher, it was her watcher internship. Yeah. Um. (laughs) (laughs) And I I actually do also enjoy Andrew and Dawn together. Dawn does get a lot of good scenes with certain characters this season. Um, cause yeah, I, I agree with you, Laz, her and Anya have good scenes and her and Andrew have good scenes. Um, I, well, so if, we, if by good scene you mean like her punching him, I, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, even like she used to have great scenes with Spike too, like back yes. when they were doing. Like she's a very good person for like the main or like newer characters to play off of because mm-hmm. she has this inherent awkwardness with everyone, and so she's like a good like to everyone else who's feeling awkward. They all attach to Dawn. And they had just given so her good with Tara. Oh my god! I know if they had just given her like Suki Stackhouse fairy powers, everything would have been fixed. <laughs> I think that, that was the biggest thing that they like. She's this mystical key person, but then like they don't give her any no, powers, and nothing. I'm just like that was a mistake. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, but so, hey, we we we've we've got to move to the next section here because we finally uh, not we I'm like putting myself in the situation, but uh, the Scoobies finally get Andrew to like cough yes. up the location of uh, of where Spike is supposed to be being held, and they find well, they find a lot of stuff, but they also run into Principal Wood. Awkward. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I. I can remember watching this season thinking, oh, he's definitely going to be working for the first. And I kind of like the mystery that we build. And I'm very appreciative of the fact that, you know, we actually got a character of color who was, he was very much useful and like a hero. He wasn't working for evil and he didn't die. Um, And also he's gorgeous to look at. So there's also that. Um, (laughs) But I think him and Buffy, him and Sarah act really well off each other. 
Yes. And he um, also brings like a calmness and like yeah. a, a like where there's so much like frenetic stuff happening with the Scoobies, he brings like a a wise calmness, which I've always appreciated about him. Yeah, yeah. And so oh, in the so while they're in the basement, things we need to I think also Andrew and Xander have good chemistry. I don't I'm not saying I ship it at all, but I think they have good chemistry, like when they talk about like Wonder Woman and he's like, oh, it's like Wonder Woman issue, blah, blah, blah. And Xander's like, oh, the catacombs. And then he's like, oh, keep moving. Cause he gets annoyed that he agrees <laughs> with Andrew. And I like that. That's like kind of their relationship is like, they're both big fucking nerds, but Xander's like, wait, I hate that. I know what you're talking about. You're the nerd, not me, even though you're both the nerd. It's fine. Um, he, they do, they do address that Andrew murdered his best friend. Um, we learn that Andrew's still in denial. Um, and yeah, so Principal Wood and Buffy have to do their lying mental gymnastics. Um, and Dawn says that they were putting a, what is it, a time capsule. Uh, and I love that she says, hello, teens of the future, kids today like Red Bull and Jackass. I thought that was like <laughs> cute. <laughs> no, I, Robin Wood was a character that I was like very excited about when he appeared. Because like I said before, like Buffy has had like a few black male characters, but none of them have been really like interesting enough to stick around. Like it's like, who's her normie boyfriend again? What's his name? Um, oh, Riley. 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 Yeah, Riley <laughs> had like a black best friend. Yeah. And then there was that like Mr... Trick, yeah. Trick character in season two. But like Robin is like the one reoccurring black character that we really get for like a long time on the side of on the side of good. Yeah. And I do like the mystery as it gets set up. I think that uh, you know, DB Woodside is a great actor. He's so fun on Lucifer. Um, and so like it's great to see him at this port this point in the show, where I think they actually have like a really good handle on his character. I think that as the as the show progressed this season, it, they kind of like kind of mess him up in certain ways that I won't get, I won't start ranting about now because then it'll take over. But I do like him at this point in the series a lot and how he's written. All right. All right. So then they go home and then, well, they bury the seal, which as we know, does nothing. Um, I usually have to do that after like two beers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so they go home and they decide that they want Willow to do, I put this in my notes. Is it a locator spell for spike or to find the first? I, I believe it was to find the first, and that's why she gets possessed by the first. Okay. Okay. So, which I don't know why they thought that would be They're like, be a hey, Willow, idea. we know this has been kind of rough for you. Could you possibly try to find the worst evil that has ever evolved for us? NBD, you know, <laughs> real quick. Just real quick, you know. <laughs> um. Anya and Dawn get knocked out by the magic, which happens, I feel like, in many episodes. Um, mm. The first inhabits her and says that you are only you only make me stronger, which in the next episode we do learn is true when they visit Bill Joxa's eye, and it says that the Buffy being back is what made the first stronger. Um, Buffy's immediately like, I gotta go, I gotta go find this thing, blah, blah, blah. Xander's like, you can't go alone. She opens the door, and who's there, Dana? It's Giles saying, yeah. uh-oh, uh-oh, sorry to barge in. We, we have a slight apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a screenshot that I got a lot of mileage out of, out of uh, in the last few years on Twitter. <laughs> um, but it's not just Giles. It is also Kennedy, Molly, and Annabelle, uh, yes. potential slayers. So, Uh-oh, Kennedy. 
I'm gonna quick. Mm-hmm. Princess, what do you think of Kennedy? Uh, uh. Uh, it's <laughs> like, she's so annoying and I hate it because I want to love her so much. Like, we get this cool Mexican woman who's like rich and not a stereotype. And but super gorgeous, right? And super, oh, yeah. so gorgeous, but instantly put my teeth on edge. And I was just like, <laughs> I just had war flashbacks of like, oh no, it's her again. <laughs> <laughs> Laz, what do you think of Kennedy? I... Again, I just don't understand her her purpose uh, of constructing a character that we know is going to, you know, stick around and and probably arguably be one of the the more focal uh, yeah. potentials, and and write her in such an awful way. And I'm and sometimes I struggle. I'm like, is it the actress and her uh, delivery, or is it the writing? But I think I, I think it's primarily the writing. She's always combative with everybody for no reason, uh, seemingly half the time. And uh, and also just and and Princess, you mentioned it. Like she's this rich girl, uh, which already kind of puts me on edge because I grew up a poor Cuban kid, so it's hard enough for me to relate to a rich kid mentality uh, unless it's like written, you know, to do so. Uh, but, but she just comes across so entitled and as if she deserves everything, uh, without working for it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like when she's like, when are we going to get weapons and and like how she like, even like things that I would like about her. And I think, I don't, I didn't remember how much of it was just like me when I first watched Buffy, I was like, all right, everyone hates Kennedy. I usually like female characters that everyone hates. And then I meet Kennedy and I'm like, oh no, this is not that case. Like <laughs> it definitely is the writing. And I think that she's kind of an example of like, in a way, colorblind um, writing because yeah. there's no, there's no real work in integrating of like what it might be like for her being like this Latin, this Mexican woman in this very white space. She just kind of becomes like another Cordelia, except like, not endearing. And I just find that to be really exhausting. I think you're both totally spot on on that. And I I think in a way they also wanted to make her as opposite of Tara as possible. And knowing that they were going to eventually make her this love interest. And I agree. I think it's the writing because I think Iari's, I I think she's a good actress. And I I think she kind of got, it's a tough, it's a tough situation to know that you're going to be, the romantic interest yes. of somebody whose romantic interest that a lot of people loved was brutally murdered. Um, so I think that, she, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the writing on this one. Sorry about that, Marty. You know what? I, Dana, I thought we agreed on Kennedy cause I do not hate Kennedy. I, I think that you are right that they definitely tried to just be like as opposite of Tara as we can possibly get. And that's why she is the way she is. But I did read that originally Tara was written to be more like that. Like they wanted Willow's girlfriend to be more like super outgoing. But then when Amber came in, they were all charmed by her. And they were like, oh, no, let's make Tara more like her. Um, Because they really liked Amber's like way of acting. Which is funny because Amber's super outgoing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and Iari, I, so we were, I think I said this before on the podcast, but we were on a panel together at um, uh, Whedon Gone a few years ago. And I remember we were talking about the diversity because the panel we were on was pretty diverse. And she went, she turned to me, she put her hand on my shoulder and went, wait, were there any Latinos in Buffy? And I went, <laughs> you? 
And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. She was like, my character was supposed to be white and Jewish and rich from upstate New York. That was what they wrote as the description mm. of my character. And I was like, oh, in the comics, they definitely do like lean into Kennedy being Hispanic. And she was like, oh, good. But so like, I love that she asked me and I was like, isn't it you? Isn't that the answer? <laughs> Is this such a question? <laughs> She's like, my character was Caucasian from the <laughs> island of Caucasus. She's like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting, Ian, that, that you mentioned uh, like outgoing as a quality trait that they were looking for, because she doesn't come across as somebody who's trying to be outgoing or somebody who's like extroverted. She comes across to me as like somebody who has no boundaries. Mm hmm. Like immediately, she just has this like assumption, you know, with Willow and, you know, like normally I, I actually like those kind of characters who, you know, want something and they're they're willing to be straightforward and, you know, and they want, you know, and, and they're they're willing to to kind of go for it and, and have that outgo outgoing charm to them. Uh, but she but yeah, again, with, with the writing, it just c comes across as like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'm just. I'm just going to violate your boundaries and, you know, be super inappropriate. Without <laughs> but I sleep in your room. Yeah. Don't hog the sheets. I'm like, girl, please. Like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, okay. So I, I think the reason, another reason that I do like her is because she is the only potential that's useful. This is true. Um, this is absolutely true. And, and I mean, an excellent you know, slayer. Like, like mm -hmm. she's, she's got the skills. Yeah. She has the moxie. It, it, I I want to I want to clear I want to clear the air. Okay, I do not loathe Kennedy. I I just <laughs> she takes warming up to. That's fair. That's fair. And I will say a weird thing that I always say is that so like you know if you are in my orbit if I date you or I live with you usually I make you watch Buffy and all of the straight men that I've lived with that I made watch Buffy loved loved <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> Which I don't know what that says about her, but like the straight, I feel like the straight guys I get to watch would be like, yeah, but she's like a good slayer. Like she's, she knows how to fight. She's like useful. The other girls are just screaming. Like she's the badass. <laughs> um, and some of the time she's not wrong when she's like, I don't know. Like I felt when she was like, do we get weapons? And Buffy was like, no. And she's like, we need weapons. And like, she's kind of right. Cause even if you don't know how to fight, I mean, granted they have like ridiculous axes, but like, even if you're not that much of a fighter, like I would, I'm not a fighter, but I would still want a weapon if there's a monster that's like coming to eat me. I'd be like, just let me have a weapon. So in case well, I can fight for well, myself. And what I think is interesting about that stuff to go to kind of like what Les is about being repetitive. I feel like that shouldn't have been a conversation. I feel like Buffy, the character that we know would have been the first one to be like, yeah, we're going to give these teenage girls weapons. She's been a teenage slayer. Yeah. It doesn't make sense that she would be like yeah. the one who's like taking this weird, like, I don't know about that. Like you, like it, it doesn't make sense for Buffy's character. And some of the choices that are made in season seven with Buffy specifically feel like they're purposely trying to undermine yes. her to like make the potentials be correct in ways that I don't think Buffy would organically act based on a character that we've known for like six seasons. And that's why it becomes annoying, not because yeah. the characters are never correct and that they make Buffy so blatantly wrong. But then we're spending so much time looking at Sarah Michelle Gellar having like <laughs> her amazing sad face. And oh. I'm like, I know girl, this is bullshit, but like you really are, you're living, <laughs> you're making bad choices. And it's just like, it's very, frustrating as someone who like loves that character to see that the only way that they can make the newer characters really have any purpose is to tear Buffy down. Yeah. Well, when Buffy gets burned That's out, fair. it's tough. 
Mm-hmm. And she, it, it's yeah. yes, it's like it's like all the premises drop, and it's like who who is this person? But then I try to wonder to myself, when I kind of get burned out, am I sort of unrecognizable to the people that yeah. know me too? Just just something I'm thinking about. <laughs> I mean, I I will say so. As I said, like if I date someone or I live with someone, we watch Buffy. Every time I get to season seven, I feel differently about Buffy. Um. Like, I, I remember watching it live thinking everyone was constantly wrong and Buffy was always right. And then, like, when I rewatched it with one X, I was like, oh, well, Buffy's making choices, like you said, Princess, that she wouldn't really. And then, like, the last time I watched it, I thought, well, Buffy's being kind of a dickhead <laughs> and, like, not budging and thinking she's always right. And this time around, I'm, I, I find myself going back and forth between both of being, like, Buffy's being a little too ridiculous sometimes with, like, she makes the decisions um, you know, when we covered selfless, I know people feel differently about the scene when like Xander and Willow are like, what about Angel? What about Spike? And she's like, it's always different. It's always different, but I have to make the choices. And they're like, why? And I kind of think they were right. Mm-hmm. Like this time around, I was like, yeah, why does Buffy get to be the one that says, no, we don't kill Spike, but we definitely kill Anya. Like that feels Ugh, I hate getting older, fair. Ian. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> that really is what it is Dane. <laughs> but anyway i also want to talk about giles coming back because i feel like uh even though he's not like you know he's he's not gonna fight or whatever it just feels like oh thank god dad's back because he's like the only good dad he's just he he cares about these these the scoobies who are like his children especially buffy i hate that they don't get a hug mm-hmm. I, I don't love the fake out of like, is he or isn't he the first? I wish we had just ditched that. Uh, it was weird. I like, sorry if I'm talking too much, but it just like this, again, like this season with Giles coming back is so, it, it starts off so excited because like, yes, dad is back, dad is home. But the energy between him and Buffy is so weird. It's like, it's yeah. so detached. It's so unpersonal. It's like, and this is the beginning of them being like in very weird situations for the rest of the season where I'm like, is Giles the bad guy now? Like, I don't understand. It, it, it's such a, it's a, that awkward no hug beginning is like an indicator to me of like how off those two are going to be for the rest of season Right. Seven. It's kind of like, all right, it's time yeah. to teach yourself, bitch. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all on you, girl. I'm like, since when, Dad? Since when? You were gone for one half a season, and now you don't want to help a girl out? It's so weird. In, in, in all fairness, hold on, sorry, but in all fairness, he is, like, wrangling a bunch of, like, teenage girls at this point, and he's probably exhausted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Laz, how do you feel about Giles' return? Well, I'm, I'm always uh, up for Papa Giles to come back. Uh, I think that he... He, he grounds... This I love Papa season. Giles, Laz. That's very cute. <laughs> I, I've been calling him that for like a while, and I don't know why, and it's kind of weird. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like he, he, as an actor and as a character, I think that he grounds the rest of our characters in a really beautiful way. That you know, I'm sure you guys spoke at length about you know seeing him return in season six, and I think that it has the same effect here. But going back to what everyone has been saying about you know even like. Buffy and Ian, what you were saying about every time watching this season, getting this sensation of, uh, you know, kind of like seeing a different angle of it. I think that the the issue with this season and even with this moment of Buffy and Giles reconnecting is that they don't, they're not making very strong choices character wise in this season. It, it feels neither here nor there. Like it feels like 
like we have a really great scene with them like a little bit later where it's like you know they say i miss you and it's really beautiful and i tear up but they're also like super detached from each other so like nothing that the characters are doing feel uh again just like a big swing so it, it it feels a little empty um and i hate feeling that way with buffy and giles because I think that they're like such a big heart of yeah. the show in general. Uh, I, I think, I think what you're saying is right. It's, I think if we had just like gotten a goddamn hug, cause why, like, even if, okay. So all the potentials walk in and interrupt their hug, Molly, Annabelle and Kennedy, AKA the cannon fodder aside from Canada, Kennedy, they like interrupt their hug, but I still feel like, okay, after they walked by, then she would have been like, thank God dad's here. And like giving him a big hug. And he was always very warm with her. And it is weird that he's not. And you're right. I do like the scene we get later when they're walking down that one street we always see in Sunnydale. And they actually do like, she's kind of, cause she hasn't really vocalized it to Willow or Xander. And Giles is the one that she would be Giles or Spike weirdly, I think are the two. She would be comfortable talking about how stressed out she is. Right. Like she's not going to tell Willow, Xander or Dawn that, or even Anya, but it's like, Oh yeah, dad's here. I can tell him, I haven't even realized what month it is. You know, this, this big bad is really stressing me out, but the, the, like the family intimacy doesn't feel there for this. And I think it is because the writers are trying to do the like, Oop, Nope, we're going to see if he's the first. And I just, we didn't need that. I felt, I feel like if he had just gotten there and been like, yeah, like, okay, we still got that cliffhanger of him almost being chopped, but he explained, yes, I encountered the bringers, you know, they killed, I thought they killed that watcher, which we later learned he didn't die. But like, if he had just told that story at the top, okay, fine. We know he's not dead. We don't need to like fake out of is here. Isn't he the first? Because also it's ridiculous that he would not have touched a single thing in the house for that many episodes for them to be like, wait a minute. Giles hasn't touched us. Have we seen him touch anything? And it's like, he didn't like turn a doorknob. Um, you know, like he didn't pick up food. He didn't like have tea. That's what Giles does. The I don't know. Open concept now. No need. <laughs> right, yeah. For, for <laughs> <not>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I'm glad they brought Giles back and I am glad that he is there for the final. However, I think it's like 11 episodes now or 12. I'm glad that he is there because he like him and faith coming back is important to the show. Like I do feel like characters like mm-hmm. that did need to come back for this to feel more final. Like if we hadn't gotten him, it would have been like, eh, like if he was only back for the last episode or the last like two. And he and he is there when she falls through, like falls into the ground and ends up getting attacked by the Uber vamp. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. he doesn't do anything. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but he was, he was there. there. He was there to say, oh, Buffy. <laughs> um, so oh, no. Giles gives them, we get the Kennedy intro, which I actually kind of like, where she's like, this is a slayer. Huh. Um, and then Giles gives us this almost, I, I mean, for my bloody Judy, Zach and I have been, you know, talking a lot about horror. Um, Laz just guested. And I've been thinking a lot about like the, um, the character in horror movies that like explain the rules. And it almost feels like that's what Giles is here to do. He tells us the first can't touch. He tells us, you know, about the Uber vamps that he thought were a myth. He tells us he's basically there to like, give us the rules for the rest of the season. Um, and I don't feel like they thought these rules out until they wrote this episode. Like, I feel like they were like, oop, we got to have Giles say what's going on. Eh, did it touch anything? No, it didn't touch anything. Let's just say that it can't. But I, I appreciate that at least now they know what they're do- Like, now they know what they're fighting, the rules, et cetera, et cetera. And we're like, good to go. We don't have to pretend 
it's a mystery because a lot of us viewers kind of already got there. And I mean, Buffy got there the previous right. episode, but we did need a, a watcher to explain it all. Before we before we get into the, this next section, there's this line that Willow has that just cracks me up so much. When she's, you know, because Willow, now that she's not doing the magics, she's doing the Googles. Mm. And she's looking up information on the first and she goes, hey, hey, here, the first. Oh, yeah. Bank of Delaware. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That was so cute. Um, And so we get like, Princess, I know you're going to have some thoughts on this because you talked about the Spuffy stuff. I don't love that she's like, well, this is why I need to get Spike. And it's like, is it? And like, even even Anya's like, sure, he'll help Uh, if he's not crazy or killing people or dead or all of the above. Like Anya, once again, per usual, is right. It feels like this would have been a moment and I know we couldn't because of they were on different networks, but if we're going to say we need Spike, that she would be like, also, I'm going to call Angel. Like, right? Like, if, if we're doing that Spike's so important, Angel yeah. is just as strong as Spike and not as unhinged or recently murdery. So it feels like, even though the Rex is, like, I mean, he comes in at the end. Like, I felt like this would have been a moment where she needs to call Angel and, like, oh, whatever, like, help or fighters you have, can you come help me? And, you know, I mean, this is a problem with a lot of comic books, too, right? It's like when the X-Men are, like, fighting a, like, world-ending thing, it's like, why aren't they just calling the Avengers the Fantastic Four to help? I think about that a lot, and I know that, like, plot-wise, that would be boring <laughs> if we did that every time. Um, but I don't know. I just kept I kept thinking of that in this scene because it's like, mm, but like Anya said, like, Spike just finished killing a bunch of people in Sunnydale and burying them in basements. Is he really that helpful right now? I don't know. Spuffy is the enemy of my life. I mean, I just, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna let Laz go first because I, I, I am right there with you, uh, Princess. I cannot stand Spuffy. I've never <laughs> understood it. I am a huge uh, Bangel fan. Ooh, uh, huge, huge. That relationship mm-hmm. to me uh, is just a beautiful just a beautiful conglomeration of, of what love is in its, it's dark and great and light times. Uh, but Spuffy, I just never understood. I also don't understand the choice, especially after season six, which to me is unforgivable. Uh, most of his actions and, and the way that that pseudo romance uh, played out. I don't understand why she is constantly making excuses for Spike to one be around. Also, I kind of feel like she she gives him a lot more credit as this like incredible fighter who has all this stuff to offer when I don't know that he does all that much except sit there and like fawn over her. It's it, you know, it's I hate it. The thing that I dislike about Spuffy is not that it's like dark or whatever, because I enjoyed it up until seeing Red and all of that stuff happening. I think that that was a turning point where I was like, this character cannot come back from this in a romantic sense. If she cared about Spike, like despite all of that, I would be fine with it. It's just this kind of like, we have to get him back. We have to get him back. You were not this way with Angel. And I don't under and I just and that's why it doesn't make sense to me. You weren't this way with Angel. You haven't even known Spike as long as you've known other people. Why are you just willing to put so many people's lives in danger to get him back? He is not that important right now. And it it, it just never hits. And it's not even just because I dislike Spuffy, it's because 
all of his actions as a character, I'm like, Spidey needs to save himself. Like, I'm sorry. Like, he needs to be the one to get out of this on his own. Like, it shouldn't be your responsibility. And so many things that she does to protect Spike make everyone in the show turn against her. And I can't say that I think that they're wrong. And it really is infuriating to watch because I hate seeing her brought down and having and forced to be humbled because of her relationship to this man. I mean... I like Spike. I do, but oh, as a as a character, he's great. I love Spike as a character. I do yeah. not like him as that Buffy's is very love fair. Um, I will say now I'm like, oh god, everyone on Twitter is going to be so mad because the Buffy fans are very intense. Oh. Um, any episode where we have said remotely boo about Spike and Buffy, ooh, it's like threads of like people telling us why we're wrong. <laughs> I mean, wrong. they're they're allowed to like it. Like there is a lot of interesting dynamics about that relationship. I just feel like, I don't even feel like narratively the show gives them justice because they never really talk about their problems. They never really reconcile in any way that I think would be, if you like Spuffy, like how does this season make Spuffy better than where it was before other than that they say that they love each other? Like how do they do the work is my question. I I think my biggest issue with their stuff this season is that like, and I know, I mean, Princess, you did say that's kind of Buffy's forte is being like, this thing happened. I'm not going to process the trauma. I'm going to keep going. But I wish they had paused because they talk about their relationship. They talk about her using him, but they don't talk about the mm-hmm. fact that he sexually assaulted her. And that's, for me, like, even if they had the discussion of what's it mean to have a soul, sure. And in context of the show, we have to believe that a soul is, you know, does X, Y, and Z to a person. I just feel like they needed to have that talk. Um, and that's why I have trouble. This rewatch, I've had the most trouble getting by it. Because it's like, oh, we talked, like, Spike says, like, oh, you used me. And it's like, oh, but you sexually assaulted her. So, like, I don't know how you can even be like, I'm mad for you for using me. Because, like, ugh, I don't know. I just wish they had talked about it. And they don't. And that's, for me, I have trouble getting by it. Even if Buffy wants to blow past it, I feel like the audience then, well, the non-Buffy audience will has trouble blowing past it the way Buffy does, right? Especially because she tells all her friends and it's they also can't yeah. get past it because it's like, how are, like we know what he did to you. Like, how are we supposed to care about him when we haven't actually dealt with what happened? And that just makes it so hard because I rewatched that episode a while ago because I was doing a writing about mm. it. That scene is long. Yeah. It is very, very dark. It is, it is not pulling any punches. Like, it is a brutal scene. And to get and to ask us as the audience to get past that, you have to put in the work. And I don't think that they do. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I also kind of feel as though and and Princess, I think you you said it beautifully, like whoever loves Buffy and, and Spike together, good for you. Like that is amazing. I think that if you can find something uh positive there that I haven't seen, great. But from my perspective, it it comes across at least in this season as like the most negative aspects of codependence in a relationship ever where they they're constantly just like unhealthily leaning on on each other for you know either weird slight validations or or have you know expectations of the other helping the other uh to achieve certain you know personal goals uh, that aren't very well defined. And that makes me super uncomfortable as like a viewer and somebody who thinks about uh, those kind of qualities in a relationship. <sighs> so, okay, we're going to move on from Spuffy because we, <laughs> we still got more episode. We do get the first moment of 
and I, I do want to touch upon this, but I don't want to spend too much time on it. The Kennedy and Willow flirting. Cause when I watched this live, I was like, yes, I want Willow to get laid by like a hot young top. <laughs> when Kennedy's like, no, you, I can't sleep with that person. They start, Oh, I'm going to don't hide the sheets. Okay, first of all, Willow is a switch. Okay. Right, yeah. But a switch can still get laid by a hot young top. <laughs> Why not Dana? The <laughs> <laughs> people want to know. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with bottoming sometimes. Um, but that's how I view their dynamic is like, I think that's why I can like it more. Because I, I understand that people are very protective of Tara because Tara was a wonderful character. Mm-hmm. Um, and their relationship was one of the best ones on the show until Willow, you know, fucked it up. But I think there's nothing wrong with like, ooh, we're at the end of the world. Ooh, I'm single. We're both queer. We're both hot. Let's fuck. Sure. Like, I don't think it's a forever love. I I really view it as like, listen, let Willow get laid. It's the end of the world. Kennedy's hot. Um, I, I've seen some people talking about, when they talk about them, the age difference, but they do later say Kennedy is the oldest of the potential. So I think we're supposed to assume yes. she's like 19. And I, mean, what, I mean, Willow's about like 22. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like we don't really know their ages anyway. It's like that is not yes. my concern. <laughs> yeah, because like yeah, even though they like character wise age up the characters and they dress them more mature, they're still supposed to be yeah. Like right. you said, Dana, they never gra- did. They ever graduate college? Or did- <laughs> they never I did. No, I think that they were supposed to be like juniors at this yeah. point. Yeah, so they're like between twenty and twenty two at most. So like, all right, that's not that big of a deal. But yeah, I, I can remember like loving that we got this like confident woman who's like clearly wants to hit it and like good for you is how I feel. But I feel that way a lot of times with people getting laid. I'm like, good for you. Have fun. Whatever. Like I'm like fucking the mom from Mean Girls. Like, do you need anything? Condoms, a drink? <laughs> Agreed. There's nothing wrong with this point to me. They're hot. Yeah. I think uh, outside <laughs> of my views on on that character, I think, I think, yeah, I, I I think if you can find love during an apocalypse, go for it. And then Dawn says, like, does she want to eat? And Willow being like, what? What? <laughs> oh, she <I> does. Do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we cut to Buffy and Giles. We get, and I do like this, you know, Buffy's just kind of like, God, I'm fucking beat. The thing I do appreciate about this season is it does what season five did, where it's like, Buffy is having a rough fucking year, but it's still not as depressing as season six. Um, like we don't veer into too much of like the characters, every one of them, every episode has a scene crying. Um, but we are still showing like, look at how stressed she is. She has had quite the year she's had, you know, last year was terrible. This year's being kind of rough on her. And now there's a, like the impending apocalypse, which is starting earlier in the season than usual for Buffy. Um, and I do Sarah Michelle Gallery and Benny Stewart head, their dynamic is uh, they know what their dynamic is, what their characters' dynamics are at this point in the show, and they do it well. I like this conversation. I like seeing Buffy be able to like metaphorically let her hair down or whatever. Um, I just again like she falls in that hole, and Giles doesn't do shit, and mm. it's kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to the uh, tree, the like Christmas tree lot where she first encountered them. The first in season three, she falls through the Turakan pretty much immediately kicks her ass. And I can remember the like, <gasps> the like the way I felt watching the Turakan just snap the steak that she put in him and being yeah. like, no big deal. And this for me felt at the time like, oh, we're like 
almost at a glory level fight where she is outmatched because this monster is stronger than her. And I do think that ups the stakes for Buffy, right? Because every other monster, you know, the mayor was kind of like not there until he turned into the big monster. And then she blew it up in five seconds. So it's no big deal. You know, Adam, eh, the incels, blah, and like, and jealous it was more, ooh, this is a man she loves, but it was still a monster she could kill. So I like putting a monster where it's like, oh shit, she's not sure how to kill this right there with like a fight. And we're like, you know, not even at the end of the episode. Yeah, I don't know. What'd you guys think of the the fight here? Uh, Laz, you, you, who would you think? Yeah, I think, uh, I think they, the Turukans definitely present like a, a really strong threat to, to Buffy right off the bat. Uh, they, they look a little silly for, you know, but it's, you know, uh, it's the time period. Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I do like the inclusion of them. And I, I kind of love how parts of this episode really change up the status quo of what we knew uh, with Buffy. Because yeah. that's, that's something like when I first saw it, I was so enamored by with this season uh, and specifically yes. this episode where everything's being switched up and you have all these new introductions and characters and people coming back. And suddenly like this uber vamp... Uh, is is really pretty freaking scary. I would agree. Like I it's hard seeing her get like beaten that badly. Like I like when they find her body, I like gasped because I it's so rare to see Buffy beaten that way and I just and I just I've ha- I feel so strongly for her and be, like when she goes to stake it and it doesn't die, I was like, "Oh, like I was like, oh no, that's yeah. a moment. Like, right, all the rules have changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was so well done, and Sarah Michelle Gellar just eats the role of Buffy. Like she just is so good at it, and I think I felt the terror in that moment, and I felt like, and it was yes. definitely like yes. a game changer. It is a very very great fight scene because it's like Buffy could die, and it, the fact that she doesn't die just proves that the first has a plan for her, and that's the most terrifying thing. That, like, she's only alive right now because right now she hasn't finished doing what needs to be done. It is a lot to see. Yeah, I would agree with that. So they they get back home. um, And this is kind of the first time we see the rift with Giles and Buffy with how they want to handle the potentials, right? Because Buffy's like, oh, you know, they're all in the they're all in the kitchen eating. It's the morning. And Giles is like, oh, we should discuss this in private. And Buffy is like, no, let them hear. They should hear what we're going to talk about. And I can kind of see both points, honestly. Like, I can see being like, no, they're not real slayers. It's just going to scare them. But Buffy being like, yeah, but like, this is what's happening. Avoiding it's not going to make it less scary. And then the other part of me is like, eh, they should have just had Kennedy stay because she's the only competent one and let the other two leave. Um, But right, wouldn't you guys agree? That's kind of like, that's the start of like Giles and Buffy's like whatever riff that they have until the end of the season. In a sense, yes. Because I, I I see what you mean now when you put it like, yeah, they have mm. different styles of how they want to educate the Slayers, which again feels just so weird because I feel like, didn't we already do this? Like, didn't we already deal with like the difference in their in their methods? <laughs> like, it, it's interesting be- because I feel like it's, it's a torn between now I know it's the finale, but like what it must have felt like working on it because why wouldn't why is Giles regressing to who he was back in season one and two? Like, why is he like not giving them the authority? Like he was, he had teenage slayers before he had a teen, a teenager who just wanted to go to prom, but had to fight instead because it was an apocalypse. Like, why is he regressing as a character to do this? It just feels very 
sus. Sorry to be a negative Nancy. I'm not trying to be like this. No, you made good points. (laughs) Uh, Then what happens, Dana? Where do we go after that? Is this when uh, Annabelle runs away? No? No. Oh, then this is when we get to Buffy at school. Oh, right, is, this yes. is when Buffy's looking up evil on the computer. Oh, so cute. Yeah. I love her. She's so cute. Right. I, I feel like that does track for Buffy, that she'd be very bad at doing the research. We all have our skills. Yeah. And we have our things that we don't excel at. <laughs> like, that's like, that's how my dad looks up things. Like, just Googles like one word. <laughs> but, she, but she and Principal Wood have that back and forth that they're both lying because they both have like their thing that right. they're doing behind each other's backs, which is actually the same thing. <laughs> oh. Is it weird for me to say that I find in this season and, and this episode, uh, I find that when Buffy is bouncing off of Principal Wood, she seems the most Buffy uh, and in her element. Hmm. I can see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, their scenes are very good together. I think those actors do well with each other. Yeah, she just seems like 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 that fun, spunky Buffy comes back a little bit. And she maybe it is because they have such good chemistry, but it seems like Sarah Michelle Gellar is having a lot of fun with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Also, we get... Don't we get another... Oh, no, we don't. Not here. Because then we cut to Spike being tortured Spike by... Spike getting his ass kicked, yeah. And he's like, no, love, you're not Drusilla. And she's like, oh, daddy, I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> Dana, I love your Drusilla. That's actually... I do a much better Drusilla. I just... I'm not, I'm not thinking about it right now. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> so then we cut to Buffy, and she's in her bathroom, and she's looking at the bruises under her blazer... And her mom appears and like, I get such, I don't know. I, I think it's because I love these characters so much, but like seeing Joyce like really hurts my heart. Like I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. like this was such a traumatic thing for Buffy. And like, I don't know. I get like teary eyed because it's, she doesn't feel like the first because she's not being mean. She's just being like her mom. She's just being a mom, right? She's like, you got to rest. You got to sleep. Like, and Joyce is so good at like the warm mom feeling. And, you know, Joyce wasn't always that mother either, but of course that's where Buffy's brain goes to, like, man, I wish my mom were here, of, like, she's going through an apocalypse. She kind of is, like, isn't sure what to do. There's all these extra girls living in her house. So it makes sense that she would be dreaming about her mother comforting her. Like, I think that really does track. Um, And again, this is why I do think it's a dream and not the first, because she does wake up at her desk. Um, which is like me at work. And she's like, what are we talking about? What's going on? And the kid's like, all right, I'm leaving. Um, <laughs> that poor Roger. <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, I knew that. <laughs> which leads me to one of my favorite lines. Uh, and I was like, oh man, I'm getting old. Where she's like, I'm hip. You know, I, I can relate. Oh, right. <laughs> to the kids. Like, yeah, that was so good. I'm like, that's pretty much me these days. Oh my God. I was going to say, that is that is me on Twitter increasingly every day. <laughs> I have like friends I text to be like, what are they talking about on Twitter? (laughs) Um, So then we, we cut back to the summer's house. Um, Xander is making a signs reference about, Oh, we just got to trap it in the pantry. And Willow's like, let's ease up on the whole jokes in the face of evil thing. She tells the potentials they'll be okay or better. That's their guarantee. And I just, I wanted to talk about this scene with her and Buffy because I really, they're both doing some really good acting here. I think, because she apologizes for like not being able to help. 
And Buffy's clearly exhausted. I mean, that's been the whole thing, right? She said she hasn't gotten sleep. She's tired. She's very bad at hiding that she is a little annoyed. And for me, this is another way the magic is drugs metaphor doesn't work because you're not annoyed at your friend because they have an addiction and their addiction could save the world, right? Like that's not just, that's why the metaphor falls apart to me because it's like, Mm -hmm. I understand why she would be annoyed because if Willow did, it would be very helpful to saving the world. But because we have boxed it into like a metaphor of addiction, we have to have Buffy be more okay with it. And but I think they're both doing good acting because like Willow's apologizing. She does her little word vomit where she's like, and it was all grr, and I was all err. Um <laughs> and Buffy's trying to be, she's like smiling but clearly exhausted. Um, and just trying to be like, it's fine, Willow. I don't want to have this discussion. Oh god, I've been this Willow in my life too many times. <laughs> with like the Buffy's in my life. <laughs> <Word>. <laughs> We get Andrew, he's asking to be untied, he has a zillion excuses, and he's like, you know, I know you think of me as Dr. Doom, but, and Zan- I love that Xander mouths that he doesn't know what he's talking about to Buffy. <laughs> he's like, I have no idea. I was like, you do. Don't pretend. Like, you do. <laughs> and then we quickly learn that Annabelle has run off. Annabelle, we hardly knew ye. Yeah. Nothing she of seemed- quality was lost. <laughs> 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 I'm still unclear. Why does Annabelle run off? And is it just because she's like, "Oh shit, I'm in this. I'm in too deep," or like, oh, "I want to kill that vamp." Like, I'm I'm never like quite sure like what the deal is. Right? Because if you're scared, it feels like you don't run towards the evil, <laughs> right? Like, like yeah. directly into its arms, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, oh, there you are. I was scared of running into you. Now here we are. Come choke me. Like, <laughs> It also feels like if you're going to like go with some strange man from England all the way to, you know, California, uh, like, a, a, you know, a little conversation that you just had uh, is going to scare you off that bad. Like, uh, right. It's no sense. Well, maybe she was heading. Maybe. You know what? Maybe she was going to Disneyland. Maybe <laughs> she's like, I'm in California. I'm going to make the best of this. <laughs> That, the, that's where she was running. It's the end exactly. of the world. Let's just go to Disney real quick. <laughs> so Annabelle is quickly murdered. We see her necklace fall to the ground. Uh, Buffy runs off to try to find Annabelle. And this is pretty rough to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffy gets decimated by the Turrican. Um, mm-hmm. And it like throws her through a freaking wall that like collapses on her. And while I, I love an evil that Buffy is outmatched by because you know she's our hero that's we know she'll overcome it it still is brutal to watch like your hero get that beat up I think Mm -hmm. but I will say the whole end here these like last 10 minutes are fantastic Xander Willow and Giles like they uncover the rubble and even they're like oh god because she's and we a thing I, I thought about is how even in season five when she would get beat up we never saw her bloodied and this is like one of the first Buffy times on the show where she's like very bloody. Um, You know, she's got like the cut on her face, on her eyebrow, like there's like bruises and blood. So that like, I almost feel like they did that on purpose. It's like, oh, we didn't usually bloody her. Let's bloody her up so that we know this is like a very bad fight. And she very much lost. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's definitely like I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but like I noticed that like, oh shit, she's bloody. We don't get a bloody Buffy. 
No, it definitely did feel like, oh, stakes, you know, like they, yeah. they up the stakes and like Josh talking about she has internal bleeding. I'm like, but she has super healing. I was like, no. <laughs> um, yeah. and I know you mentioned how you feel like the book, the before scene is like the, the bridge between like the beginning of that gap. I think mm. that this scene of like Giles and all of them behind her back talking about how bruised up she is of like taking care of her. I think that's the actual divide because then she's like, oh, they see me as a tool as the slayer Buffy. And like, right. I have to prioritize being that over being Buffy Summers. And I think this is the part where like that switch gets turned where she's like, it's all on me because I am the plan. Um, yeah. So I think this is the moment where Buffy realizes that like, it's all on me. So I have to be Uber leader. That's fair. Yeah. So before we do get to that scene, we do cut one more time to Drusilla taunting Spike I do like the bit of like when she asks him, do you know why you're alive? And he's like, I never figured you for one for an existential <laughs> thought because you hated Paris. I thought that was like cute. And then we do get the like, what makes you think you'll ever be good in this world? And he says, she does. She believes in me. Because in the previous episode, she did explicitly say, I believe in you, Spike. And hands up, I did feel like, oh, like, I don't know. That shit, even though I get annoyed at like the problematic stuff, I still, I fall for it. I'm not going to lie, I fall for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she comes down and she gives the first big inspirational speech of season seven and eh. basically like, yeah, we're probably going to die. Um, but like, we got to get our shit together and this is all, this is all we got to do. We, we, we're, we're declaring war. And now we're going to have a reading of that, of said speech. Uh, this is from what we did over the summer when, uh, Dana and a few other of our co-hosts had to be bothered by me to do a bunch of videos um, but it's a reading of Buffy's final speech starring me, Anthony Oliveira, Summer Bischel from The Magicians, uh, Angela Rockstar from Big Brother, Adam Sass, Dana, Drag Queen, Joe Mama, Zachary Patton-Garcia, Alistair Garcia-Patton, Latoya Ferguson, Drag Race UK's Crystal, and Tom Lank. I'm beyond tired. I'm beyond scared. I'm standing on the mouth of hell. And it is gonna swallow me whole. And it'll choke on me. We're not ready. They're not ready. They think we're gonna wait for the end to come, like we always do. I'm done waiting. They want an apocalypse? We'll give them one. Anyone else who wants to run, do it now. Because we just became an army. We just declared war. From now on, we won't just face our worst fears. We will seek them out. We will hunt them down and we will cut out their hearts one by one until the first shows itself for what it really is. And I'll kill it myself. There's only one thing on this earth more powerful than evil. And that's us. Any questions? Okay, so one, I loved doing that reading over the summer. It was one of my favorites that we did, Dana. Um, and two, I cried when I watched this speech earlier today. It makes me cry every fucking time. Oh, and so I'm gonna good. like it's very good. I gotta I gotta say, like, I've said this many times on this podcast, but like Buffy is my hero. Like she's one of my favorite fictional, she is my favorite fictional character. There's a reason why. And it's I don't know, shit like this when Buffy is like completely beaten down and she's like no fuck you i'm still gonna win i'm still gonna fight like we might it might be messy but we're still gonna fight and that's like 
That's why I love her. That's why Buffy Summers is like my forever hero because this shit is inspirational and it is. And like her saying like, you know, it's going to swallow me whole and it's going to choke on me. I think it's such a good line that like, all right, you're going to try to kill me. Well, I'm going to make it as worse as like shitty for you as possible while you're trying to kill me. A jagged little pill reference, perhaps. <laughs> Dana just saw Alanis Morissette. I just saw <laughs> I'm super jealous, by the way. Oh, I'm, it oh. was so good, you guys. <laughs> it sounds amazing. Garbage. I'm jealous. Garbage opened up. <gasps> Cat Power Ooh. opened up. And then Garbage played. And then Alanis Morissette. And what a lineup. Epic. That is, yeah, I'm jealous. AF. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, so, Laz, what do you think of this speech? It's it's so beautiful and and really well written. I think it's also a really big testament to Sarah Michelle Gellar's ability to take the material and elevate it to crazy heights. Uh, you know, there there's that that vulnerability uh, in her voice at, at moments, and then you know she kind of crescendos to empowerment and strength. Uh, and it's just, it, it it leaves you speechless while you're watching it and with tears in your eyes. Laz, I, I got like teary just listening to you describe it. That's how much I love it. <laughs> Princess, how do you feel about this end speech? I, I echo all of that. I think that it just, it shows why Buffy is so inspiring, so awesome as a character. Like I deeply, lo- I agree with everything you said about, about Buffy. She's one of my my heroes, her along with, with Xena, like mm-hmm. they're just people who make me feel inspired by their own tenacity and desire to keep moving forward, even at the expense of their own happiness, their own pain. Like Buffy deserves to rest, but she can't because she knows she's the only one who can do all of this. And I just, all I want to do is give her the biggest hug, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> She does deserve to rest. You're right. She really fucking does. She needs like, to sleep. <laughs> God, give her a season episode, season seven episode where like she gets a really long good night's rest. <laughs> uh, Dana, how do you feel about this? Because you know I love it. Oh, I mean, come on. It's a fantastic monologue. I really wish I would have done it in college. I probably would have gotten a role <laughs> in some sort of musical with that. <laughs> you would have killed it. I mean, you did deliver part of it for us. Um, yeah, even the music that plays, like it's like very quiet, but even the music that's playing, like as she starts, like she starts off with like, I'm beyond tired, but then goes into like, but we're going to fucking like demolish these monsters and the music swells and, uh, and like the close-ups on everyone's faces. Yeah. I don't know. It just perfect, perfect, perfect. Love it. And now for a quick break. Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies. So much so, they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, 
and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERSLAYERFEST, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, y'all. And now, for a fashion roundup, we have Season 7 costume designer Matt Van Dyne. Hello, Matt! Hi, Ian! Hi, hi. everyone! Hi, 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 hi! So, what do you have for us for Season 7's Bring on the Night? Well, okay, th- in this episode, okay, this was interesting because I don't always have scripts for episodes, but I did have a script for this episode. And as I'm looking through my script, of course, I, you know, I would make notes in production meetings, mm-hmm. But you know what? I don't have that many notes in the script. It's kind of <laughs> really? funny. It's really kind of funny. Because I'm going, well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. And I watched the episode and I thought, well, I guess, you know, it was just kind of a continuation of what what we right. were doing, you know. And I, 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 I did make a reference to when Spike appears as the first when he's talking to Spike. Mm. that there's a note in the script that says, uh, in all his William the Bloody glory. So okay. so that with that meant bringing back the leather coat for some reason. I have a note, oh, right. bring back the leather coat. Hmm. Then I, I noticed that when Andrew, I, I always laugh at is, uh, Tom Link, is that his name? Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I thought he was adorable. Um, <laughs> he's a sweetheart. Oh, he, he's a good guy. And, but when he gets slapped around, and he's funny. That guy has good comic timing. He does, he really yeah. Does. He has great comic timing. And <laughs> uh, but you know, I thought, oh well, they throw water on him. So in my notes, I had a oh, uh, water, you know, element. So we need multiples for that. So you know, oh. so so we did have another shirt ready for him. <laughs> so just in case. <laughs> and then I had I was looking at uh, what to me was really significant about this episode is the the entrance of the three young girls who are the poten- eventually potentials or whatever. Yeah. Well, one doesn't quite make it too far, does she? Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is funny in the notes. Uh, that cross plays a big uh, part in the script, you know, that she wears a cross and all you see, you know, yeah. is, you know, but I, and I did have a note about those crosses. I, we bought four silver crosses at the time. And uh, they were uh, for the character Annabelle. And in the notes, it says that she is, or like in the script, it says that she is a snob, a British, a Brit, kind of snobby, kind of kind of slick, chic. Mm-hmm. So um, we just put her in a simple top, as I recall. So, yeah. so, but with the crosses, that yeah, there were four crosses that cost that uh, the crosses. For a total of sixty-eight dollars and seventy-five cents, that was funny, and they All came right. <laughs> from a jeweler that we used named Maya that we used her quite often. And uh, but then the other two girls, that was you know the introduction of Molly and um, Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah I, yeah, I always call her by her real name. That's funny, but but yeah, yeah with Molly, it says in the the script, which I don't think we. Well, it says pigtails and miniskirt. And a lunchbox or something uh, for her purse, oh. for a purse. Well, I don't think we did any of that. 
Well, maybe, maybe the mini skirt, maybe that. Yeah, she she yeah. wears a she wears a mini skirt. A little yeah. mini skirt, yeah. But that little top that we bought uh, that says kills germs, that came from a little shop on Melrose Avenue called uh, Fornarina was the name of it. And that little All top right. was kind of pricey. It was uh, three hundred and thirty dollars. Holy crap! That was a lot of money to spend at the time. But I, <laughs> yeah. but I think I thought you know for uh, I'm sure Terry. Or Lorna, the shopper, brought it, and Terry approved it, or Terry saw it. I'm not sure. But I thought, right. well, that's very funny. Kills germs. I thought, that's very funny. That sounds like Terry's wonderful sense of humor. So <laughs> so, uh, so I, I do recall, I, but I do remember that top. I remember that. And then Kennedy, it just says that she is tough and wry. That's all it says. So, <laughs> I was going to ask what the notes were on Kennedy. So I really wanted so to that know. Was it. Yeah, tough and wry. <laughs> so I and I laughed when I was looking at the episode, and I went, "Oh, for Ian, another denim jacket." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you know jacket. I'm a fan. <laughs> yes, another <laughs> denim jacket. So, so you know, I think we built more on uh, Kennedy. I think, well, I probably had more opportunity to do the, to do that later because once yeah. Terry left. You know, uh, but, you know, the groundwork was being laid there, tough and raw. So there she is. And right. and then Giles enters uh, the, right. the, the the scene with in his corduroy coat, which I remember that coat very well. And it oh, was yeah. a beautiful coat. Yeah. From Neiman Marcus. And it was a John Forvados uh, coat. Ooh. And it was about mm, I think it was around nine hundred dollars at the time. And I really love the idea of Giles dressing this fashionably. <laughs> didn't he look good? I thought he, looked, he did. Yeah, he really looked, looked nice, especially after everybody else has been trashed. You know, at the council, <laughs> yeah, at the council. And I was watching that scene with the council, and I was trying to remember that, but I don't remember it. And well, I, that scene—that's that's so funny. Um, so that scene is actually in the previous episode. It is okay. Yeah, it's yes, the end of that's right. End it is. Previous. That's yeah. right. That's right. The previous episode. That's right. It leads into this. That's right. So, but I don't remember. I don't remember much about that. But uh, uh, but there was an actor in that scene that I went, oh, I know that guy from Ozark, and I thought I, <laughs> I worked with him, and I don't remember that, and I love him. And that. So anyway, <laughs> that's funny. But, but I thought, yeah, but but I, I'll often run into people, you know, like on on camera, and then you know something, a light bulb goes off a hundred years later, and I go, oh yeah, I remember them. Um, <laughs> but, but then, okay. So with Buffy, uh, I, I made a note of the, uh, the beige peacoat that she wears mm-hmm. and that was from Barney's New York. And that was, that was pretty pricey. That was an $800 coat. And oh. we had multiples of that. And that little scarf that she wears later when she enters, you know, after mm-hmm. getting, trashed around uh yeah. that little cream scarf that was just a little cheap scarf but it looked so pretty it was a 30 dollar scarf that she okay. wore okay and then um the black uh i don't remember much about the black that had the black top that had the little insert with the mm-hmm. the netting or whatever i don't remember much about that but later on the the turtlenecks uh that was from Saks Fifth avenue i remember that and uh the uh, charcoal sweater that she wore that I thought was so pretty that had the the kind of wrap thing at the neck. Uh, that's mm. a Vince sweater, and that wasn't that wasn't that expensive, but I thought it photographed really well. And uh, and then I had in my notes in the script I wrote 
for the last scene. I, I this is why I was waiting for you to talk about this last scene. <laughs> I and I'm trying to remember why if I made made this reference, it's scene 39, interior Summer's home, Buffy's room, night. Mm-hmm. It says Buffy's room. Yeah. Uh, uh, Buffy enters. I, I wrote Buffy knew. Which to me is a sign. Well, that's a new outfit, and okay. that's a. I, I'm sure I don't have a reference to it, but I'm sure that's the velour outfit. She loved juicy couture. I remembered you telling me yes. that, and I wanted you to and know that, that I was anticipating you that, telling me that, that juicy has couture. to be a juicy couture, <laughs> you know, little sweatsuit. So uh, I, I'm sure of it. You know, I did. I didn't have that in the notes, but I'm, I'm almost. I'd say ninety nine point nine percent sure that's because that you said Sarah really liked that brand. Oh, she right? loved that brand. Yes, and it was yeah. comfy, you know, and it was. Uh, I think I don't know. She just she liked it because it was very comfortable at the time. I remember that. So, and and they were stylish at the time. It was very stylish, you know. They were, yeah, yeah. And we had a good relationship with the people at Juicy. We would get them directly from them. So, oh, nice. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, so. Uh, that episode, yeah, that's kind of what I recall the most of about that episode. But I loved, I was going to say too, I wanted to add to credit to Terry Dressback, who, like I said, at this time was probably leaving the show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love the palette of the show. I just always thought everything, I mean, nothing is jarring, nothing, you know, I, as I said, I, and you brought up earlier, I think a lot of these things could be worn today yeah and and i love that that it has a kind of timeless feel to it and uh that the clothing certainly the palette of the colors uh emphasize the darkness and the tone of the story and i i I, I really like that about it and i did oh i did have one little other note just as a side note about db wood i I just always have to say nobody can wear a suit better than db uh uh, man uh, is gorgeous yeah yes yeah uh i just thought he was and is an incredible person and you know an incredible person to dress you know i always thought he was and uh i remember i had like his fossenob shirt i just it was a blue shirt that came from Nordstrom's that cost $98. I thought, oh, okay. Well, I have a note on that. But that's, that's I'm sure his suits we had from before, you know, and that we just oh, okay. used, you know. But but he just always looks so sharp. And anything yeah. he wears, you know, he just always did. Yeah, he's very handsome. and Pleasure, yeah. pleasure, pleasure to dress. Yeah, he really Oh, was. I love hearing that. Yes, yes he was. And a, a, a nice person. And as nice. I said before, I think I worked with him on a pilot previous to Buffy. So I had experience oh. with him on another show. It was a show I had done with uh, Sally Field. As I recall, he was in that show, I think, as well. Hmm. So, All right. but yeah, so, so yeah, bring on the night. <laughs> <laughs> would you, would you think of that end speech? Was that the first time you'd seen it in a while? Yes. Yes. I loved it. You know, it's like she it, delivers, right? Yeah, oh my God. As only she can, which, yeah. which she does later in the final episode or yeah. t- toward the final episode, I guess it is like when she's, no, said, you're right. It's the final episode. Yeah. The final episode, which she mm-hmm. said, you know, you know, when she tells everybody to rise up or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, Sarah, yeah, incredible, incredible. You know, and that's hard to do. I mean, that's you know, she was so yeah. young at the time, but she certainly had it all together. She really, really did. Yeah, 
Yeah, but yeah, I love that nothing uh, in the way of costuming ever takes away from the story. And that's what that's what I think good costuming is. You know, I really do. And that's why you're a good costumer, man. Oh, I don't know about that. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. I, 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 I've worked with some really wonderful people and learned a lot along the way. So, yeah, I, cool. I, I well, appreciate uh, thanks, that. Thank you very much, though. Thanks for uh, popping in to give us a little fashion roundup, Thank man. Thank you I appreciate so much. It. Okay. Goodbye. I'll talk everybody. to you later. Okay. Take care. Bye. All right. Now that we're at the end, uh, favorite outfit, Princess? I would have to say I love Drusilla's outfit. I love, and I especially love that she always has her like weird French tip manicure. That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> but my favorite piece of an outfit was definitely Buffy's zipper sleeve blazer. That was amazing. I want that. She looked amazing in it. Uh, yeah, that would. Be, those are my favorite outfits. <laughs> All right, Laz. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I decided for my third option because Princess, you and I are totally insane here. <laughs> I love you. Uh, but my favorite is it's so random. But Anya's weird tassel shirt. I do like that. It was like it was kind of like a like what like a like an orangey tassel shirt. It looked a, mm-hmm. looked a little cowboy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I like that one for for some odd reason. But the other two uh, were kind of my, my first options. All right. Uh, Dana, what was your favorite outfit? I'm going to go with Molly's outfit. The whole thing. It's it's like a faux, it's like a peachy faux fur jacket. It's there, She's got a shirt, like a tank top that says like kills germs. Yeah. And <laughs> and a, like a, a kind of kilt, a short kilt. Um, I would have worn this entire outfit in 1999. <laughs> Dana, I often think how we would have been best friends as teens if we had met. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my I actually my favorite outfit is Buffy. I like the outfit she's wearing when they're walking down that one street in Sunnydale. Her like bl- beige blazer with like the little like scarf and the jeans. I think she looks very cute there. Mm. Uh, and we all probably are going to have the same one, but favorite scene, Laz. Uh, Giles and Buffy walking uh, oh. to the Christmas tree lot. Okay, uh, I th- I thought it was like the first uh, moment in in this episode that like I just I just felt like the the show was getting back to the character work that I that I enjoyed. It didn't really pay off, but uh, it did make me want to cry. Uh, Princess, I would have to say it's when uh, the second Joyce Buffy scene. Because it, I think that's when Buffy lets herself down and is a little bit more vulnerable with this version of her mom. And I just find it very touching because I miss Joyce so much. And I also think Joyce's hair looks amazing in all of these sequences. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dana, favorite, favorite uh, scene? Well, any, I mean, as a scenery chewer myself, anything with Juliet Landro as Drusilla, but uh, got to be that monologue at the end. Okay. Yeah, same monologue. I. I can't believe Princess and Laz, you didn't pick well, we uh, knew the monologue. You were going to pick the monologue, so it's like we <laughs> all take the monologue. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> what grade do you give the episode, Princess? Um, I would say it's a solid like B plus episode. I think that okay. it sets up a lot of really great stuff. Even the stuff that I dislike or things that in like a fuller context, they're not bad for what it is. I think that you see the best and worst of this season sort of almost synthesized into this. There's going to be a lot of big emotional moments and then a lot of things that are going to make you very frustrated. But I think it all comes together in a 
fairly good way. So I think it's a solid B, B plus episode of Buffy. All right. Uh, Dana, what grade do you give it? Uh, I'm going to give it a B plus. Uh, it would have gotten a B if it hadn't been for that excellent monologue at the end. So B plus. Laz? I'm going to go with a B. Uh, I was going to give it a B minus, but uh, again, that uh, Dana, to your point, that monologue just bumped up that grade. Uh, yeah, I, I give it a B plus and that I love a big, like, big ending. And that for me, I mean, granted, it's Buffy got beat up, but that speech feels like such a big ending that, yeah, it gives me, it makes the episode a B plus because I think of that speech often like that. I love, I mean, I know that the joke becomes she gives a lot of monologues, but this one is fucking perfect. Um, yeah, she fucking should right? give right. a lot of monologues. <laughs> the no. show is named Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Let her have her monologues. <laughs> <laughs> Let her speak. Um, thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. If you like Slayer Fest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon, where you can get access to uh, Zachary, Pat, and Garcia, and I do sex talk videos called My Nudie Judy. Get uh, access to all our bonus episodes. We covered Firefly. We're now covering Harley Quinn. And um, you get access to our Facebook group, uh, monthly Patreon, Zooms, and more. And if you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow me, I am at IanXCarlos. Princess, where can everyone find you? They can find me on Twitter at at Weeks Princess. They can find me on YouTube under my username, Lena Pendulum. And if they want to see me being a little cutesy, they can follow me on uh, Instagram at week at Princess underscore Weeks. And Laz, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Laz Marquez. That's L-A-Z-M-A-R-Q-U-E-Z. Uh, and you can check out my work on my website at www.lasmarquez.com. And Dana, where can everyone find you? You can find me at Dana Pickley. That's two C's, one L on Twitter and Instagram. And I've been on a little bit of a hiatus for Queer Media Matters for the summer, but uh, that will be ramping up very soon into the fall. Cool. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>